or if this is your uh, first time with us, uh, we know that walking into a, not necessarily a building like this, because it's quite nice to walk into a place like this, but walking in and seeing a whole bunch of people that you've never met before can be a daunting, uncomfortable experience. So if this is your first time, we hope you feel really, really welcome amongst us, and we want you to feel uh, as much as you can on your first visit, we want you to feel part of the family here. We're trying to build a church which is family, not just a bunch of people that gather here once a week, but where we uh, love and care and invest in each other's lives. So we hope you feel very much part of that. Uh, we're going to be looking, at, I'm not just like on Twitter here, I'm just, it's all going to become clear in a minute. We're going to be working through John uh, 17 today, or a few verses from John 17, uh, and we'll read some of that in a moment, and the words will appear as if by magic via this device onto the screen in a moment. Uh, we've been working through this series on John 17. I think this is message number five. And John 17 is this remarkable chapter where you get this kind of glimpse into Jesus' prayer life. And uh, yeah, where are we? Look, here we go. We're on week five. I'll move a little bit so you can see. So it's a bit gray because we've done those already, so you don't need to worry. So those are the four that we've done so far. We talked about what it is to be a church that's seeking and knowing God, that's on mission, that's a family together, that lives as a, a minority serving our city. And then today we're talking about what it means to be a people of truth. Um, and we're going to look at two verses that I'm going to read now and then we'll pray. So this is actually three verses, verses 17 to 19. This is the English Standard Version of the Bible. It says, sanctify them in the truth. Remember, this is Jesus praying for his people, for his disciples and for us, his church. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let me pray. God, we, we thank you for the, the privilege that we can come and read your word together. And uh, uh, we don't have to uh, have it translated to us. Um, we can open up our own Bibles. We can read it in our own language. We can meet with you, Father. We don't have to come via uh, a priest or a monk or a bishop. We can come and know you, God. We can come and read your words and have you speak right into our hearts. And more than anything, as a people, before anything else, we want to know you, Jesus. And we know that knowledge changes everything. And we want to be changed to become more like you, Jesus, to help us to follow you, to walk in grace, to live a life worthy of the calling that you set before us. So we pray, help us as we just study these verses this morning. Speak to us, do good to us, Father, we pray. Amen. Amen. So as I said, we're going to talk about truth today, and we're going to answer a few questions. First of all, we're going to say, is truth dead? Uh, second, we're going to say, is the Bible dead? And then third, because we're being very postmodern, we'll say, well, who cares anyway? So that's where we're going this morning. Sounds all very jolly, doesn't it? Yeah, good. I'm in a jolly mood. Okay. So first of all, Truth. It's a question that's up for lots of debate in our world at the moment. And the latest, or I think it was last week's issue of Time magazine on the front, 
It just asks the question, is truth dead? That was the question that the magazine asked, and lots of people are raising questions about that and trying to figure out what that means. And I guess perhaps a better question to ask, oh, I've got a wire sticking out of my head here, so let me just rearrange that. Good. That just keeps me alive, so we make sure it's in the right place. So a better question to ask would be, I guess, is um, objective truth dead? And what I mean by that is you have, we, we believe in a truth that is permanent, that is lasting, that is stable, but you can have other truth that's more subjective. It kind of comes and goes through different times and seasons, through different opinions, points of view. So the question really that's being asked is, is there any truth that's kind of overall, that's sort of beyond and above us, that lasts, anything that's permanent? That's the question that people are, are asking. Um, and there, there are two trends, I guess, that are challenging that kind of point of view. First of all, people would, many people would think that, that our, the world we live in is kind of uh, progressive. You know, truth is always in a state of evolution. It just changes through the ages. So what to, what's true today, tomorrow could be untrue. Um, so, you know, when was it, I don't know, five, six hundred years ago, maybe longer ago, everybody would have said, well, it's true that the earth is flat. We all know that, that the earth is flat. Now, for any of you who've ever flown anywhere long distance, you'll know that's not the case. Or if you've seen images from space, you'll know, oh, actually, the world is round. It's a big ball in the sky. Um, but five, six hundred years ago, people would have believed that would have been their truth. How could you think any differently? Of course the world is flat. Whereas now we look on and think, oh, well, no, we know that is truth has changed. And people believe that about all sorts of different facets, that we're in this kind of progressive, everything's getting slightly better and better. As a people, as we know more and more through the ages, truth is on this kind of curve of constantly changing and evolving. So that's, that's what some people think. I guess another trend that challenges the idea of truth is this belief that we live in, in, on a, an individual planet, that the only truth that really matters is what's real, what's true to you. The only reality that's important is your reality. And anybody else's truth, well, that's just their truth. What, what matters is what's true for me. What's, you know, this is my truth, tell me yours. Everybody's truth is very personal and individual. And kind of driving that is, is, I've talked about it a few times in the past, um, would be sort of, I guess you could call it secular humanism. It's kind of a trend, like a worldview that's prevalent in our city that many people, whether they know it or not, would believe in it. Um, this idea that secular means that there isn't a God, uh, and actually the most important thing is us. That's humanism, we're the most important thing. Um, and, and kind of old humanism, as I've put there, uh, would have, that would have kind of come about around about the sort of time of the Reformation 500 years ago and then the Enlightenment about 300 years ago. That would have been its sort of main season. Um, and that kind of humanism would have believed that the only thing that you can say is true is, is kind of the closed system of nature. Everything else is up for grabs. But what's you know, kind of physical, what's kind of biological, what's sort of the pleas and trance, uh, trees and plants and our body, those sort of things, nature, that, that's, that's true. You can't argue with that. You know, they believe in reason. 
and truth and matter. But what's changed even in the last few decades is this kind of idea of new humanism where basically we say, well, experience is the most important thing. The most important thing is how you feel. And that's the truth that's above everything else. So people will say, okay, well, therefore, it doesn't matter what genitalia I have, what my body looks like, if, if I feel like I'm a woman, I'm a woman. I'm saying that as if someone else is saying that. It's not me saying that. But you could say that, right? And people do it all the time. They say, well, what only, the only thing that defines me is what I think about myself. My body, how you could judge me from my appearance, doesn't define me. It's how I feel. And people look at the world through that point of view, that the only thing that's really true is what I feel, is what I know in my own heart. And that's the only thing that matters. And the idea of any sort of truth has been rejected. Experience wins. That's the most important thing. And for the city we live in, um, the thing that makes it complicated is that if, if people feel like that, then there's not, you can't say, oh, well, to communicate with that person about Jesus, I just talk to me in one way, because everybody thinks completely differently. Because we're, we're conditioned, we're trained, we're taught to think purely as individuals, and to decide everything for ourselves, which isn't necessarily bad, but it means that when it comes to our relationship with God, um, it starts here. It's, it starts internally. Our, our kind of spiritual journey, our search for God, starts here. And that's an important distinction to make, rather than it starting there with God. For, for sometimes, even for us, but for definitely for people in our city, any search for any meaning always will start internally. Because the thing is, all around us, all around us, the street you live in, the people you work with, maybe people even here in this room, if you don't know Jesus, people are on some sort of spiritual journey. They're searching for something. Because what they've come to realize is that this idea of humanism doesn't really work. Because if you take it to its extreme, there isn't any God, life has no meaning, life has no purpose, then existence is just kind of nothingness. There's no meaning. You know, you just consume all you want, eat all you want, do what you want, and then you die. And that's it. And actually, when people begin to kind of really look at that, it scares them, it terrifies them. Is that all my life is? Just as getting as much as I want and then dying? So all around you, people are searching for a meaning. They're searching for some sort of purpose, something that makes this life feel real and authentic. But what they do is... To make that happen, to kind of satisfy this hunger, people just construct their own belief systems. People just build their own God. I'm going to steal an illustration for a book called The Reason for God, which is a magnificent book. Uh, and in that book, the writer, Tim Keller, he uses an illustration of a movie, it was actually two movies because it's remade, called The Stepford Wives. Has anyone seen that movie? Okay, in The, in the Stepford Wives, basically this... This, this community of men decide that their wives aren't good enough, that they argue with them too much and they don't do what they want. So they basically construct this kind of army of programmed, almost like robotic wives that do everything that they say. Now, I'm not going to comment on whether or not I think that would be preferable or not. I'm just not going to say anything. But they basically construct their own... <laughs> of, of course, that would be bad. 
but my robotic wife wouldn't have answered me back there, you see. She would have just... <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I think I might be, yeah. But, but that's what they do in this movie. They just build this kind of, these robotic wives, they just do everything they say. And um, the, the, the point that he's making in this book is that's what we do with God. We just build our own gods that do what we say, that think that we th what we think, that, that, that we take our worldview and we think, okay, and we construct a belief that fits with that. And we're not actually submitting to any sort of higher power. We've actually put ourselves above God and he's just down here. We've just created it to meet our needs. And that's what people do all the time in our city. They construct a belief system that serves what they think. And it evolves and changes all the time because whatever they read on Facebook, the latest kind of BuzzFeed article or whatever, they think, oh, well, then I'll just believe that instead. And then next week, oh, no, I'll believe this instead. And all the time, their Stepford God is being rebuilt and changed. But ultimately, it's all about them. They're in charge. And, you know, for Christians, we can do exactly the same thing. We can say, well, there's, there's bits of the Bible that I like, and there's other bits, I'll just ignore that bit, I'll just wash over that bit. There's some bits of the truth of what we believe that we cherish and love, and other bits we think, oh, rather that wasn't there. So we just ignore them. And what we end up doing is just constructing our own God, and the God we worship isn't quite who the real God is. We've just built this kind of parody So there we go. And what happens is it's not just one God, it's millions, billions of different gods around us that people worship. So I guess the question this morning is, in this kind of framework of ever-shifting truth and people believing all sorts of different things, where does, where does the Bible fit? What does it mean to us? How does this work in all of this? Because in spite of all this, Jesus makes this bold claim. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, just, just kind of get hold of what he's saying in there. Jesus isn't saying the word is true. He's saying it's truth. He's saying this is absolute. This, this is the only thing that's really true, is, is this is the word of God. He's not just saying, oh, it's, it's true, you can prove it, you can read it and discover that it's true. I believe you can. If you th maybe you might think, oh, I'm just not sure, is the Bible actually true? Um, yes, it is. I honestly believe that. I can uh, give you books to read that will help you to understand that as well. But the thing is, when you do that, when you research, when you study, you know, the, the Gospels, the New Testament, were, were they really written? Did, were they just made up centuries later? Is it all just a fable that's been constructed? When you read it and discover that it's all true, what you discover is actually you've been asking the wrong question. The question isn't, is the Bible true? But it's the fact that it's truth itself. It's permanent. It's lasting. It will feed you or serve you. It's the, the embodiment of what truth is. It's the standard of which everything else is measured against. You know, in this, in this church, we believe wholeheartedly that the Bible's the word of God. It says in 2 Timothy 3, all scripture, the Bible, is breathed 
out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Because if we, the thing is, if you don't believe that, then, then what do you believe? What is true? So to give you an example, um, I don't do it very much because I'm useless at it, but if you're decorating, right, has anyone ever kind of hung wallpaper on a wall? Has anyone ever done that? It's a horrible job, right? But the most tricky factor is, is making sure everything is, it, the wallpaper's all lined up. Because you can put one up and it looks great, and then you put the next up, and then by the time you're on like, the fourth sheet, you realize that they're not all in line, or that your ceiling is slightly wonky. So if you've measured up to the top of the ceiling, and then it all kind of gets all out of order. And the, the way to make it work is you need some sort of standard against which you're measuring the hanging of the wallpaper against. You have like what in English would be like a, a level, like a little tool, like a bubble in some water, and you kind of shimmy it up and down, and it moves around, and you figure out what's straight. And you tip it the other way, and I don't quite know how it works anyway. It's got this bubble in the middle, and that's all I know, right? You get the bubble right, and everything's good. Like, must follow the bubble. But that's how it works, right? But it's, and if you use that as your standard against which you measure the hanging of the wallpaper, then it, it will work. Or you can use like a plumb line, you know, like a bit of string with something heavy on the end, which then keeps it straight, and you measure it against that. But if you don't measure it against something, it won't work. And that's what people are doing all around us. They're taking their truth, and it's like you're just taking wallpaper and just slip, throwing it against the wall, or screwing it up and throwing it, or kind of putting it on all wonky, and then you stand back and you realize, this is just a mess. None of this works. None of this holds together. It's all just falling apart. It's all just sliding off the wall. Unless you have a, a standard, something objective, some truth on which everything else is built, then it just won't work. It will all just slip away. And as we've been discussing, the, the problem is, is that we try and do that all ourselves. And we, the, the standard, the level we have is just how we feel or whatever article we've read or whatever value system that we hold to. And the thing is, you'll just get thrown from one kind of truth to the next. Everything will always feel unstable and unsteady. Nothing will feel solid because you always think, oh, well, I thought I believed this, but now maybe I believe this. I thought this was true, but that person says that's a good idea. Maybe I should listen to them instead. You know, you find if you're like a, if you're a, a parent, you know, people are always putting online like articles and videos about like how to do parenting. There's all sorts of different ways of doing it. And it can feel like overwhelming. Like I thought I was doing it right, but that guy says I need to feed them sprouts every day. I must get some more sprouts to feed them. And oh no, that guy says carrots are the way. I must get more carrots in my children. And you just get thrown from one thing to the next. Unless you've got something that you're saying, actually, I'm going to build my life on this. And if I build my life on this, then I'm on a rock on something solid, on a, on a firm foundation. And uh, 2 Timothy says, like this, it describes people as always learning, but never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. That so describes our world around us. Always learning, always hungry for more knowledge, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. John 14 says, Jesus said to him, 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John 8, Jesus said, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We can believe that. You might think, oh, this all seems to make sense about the Bible, but surely you're just kind of constraining yourself. Surely that's just like outdated. Surely that's just wisdom from 2,000 years ago. Build your life on the Bible. What does that mean? You know, that's just, that's just old knowledge. That's nonsense, you might think. That's just hocus pocus from 2,000 years ago. But what it says here is by knowing that truth, it will set you free. People think that to be a Christian means you just have to kind of take your wonderful, exciting life and boil it down and put it in a cage and lock it away and make everything boring. Well, actually, the complete opposite is true. You trust in Jesus, you let the truth set you free, and your life explodes out into something beautiful, into who you're actually meant to be. So the final question was, well, who, who cares anyway? <laughs> um, well, first of all, as we're moving on in the passage, Jesus says in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And I guess the question for us as a, a church, as the people of God, is why does this matter to us? And it matters to us because we're called to be a city on a hill. In Matthew 5, it says, you are the light of the world. He's talking about the people of God, the church. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. But for the What's the point of having a city on a hill if there's no light in the city? <laughs> it doesn't work. I don't know, I, you might not have seen it, but this week, or maybe it was last week, recently, it was World Earth Day, where they turned off the light on loads of famous monuments around the world. So they did it in Amsterdam on the Rembrandt Torum, which we can see from our apartment, and normally it's lit up, and they turned all the lights off, which is a bit dangerous if you're flying a plane, but I think it was only for a few minutes, so it's all right but you obviously you just can't see it. And that's exactly the same. You put a city on a hill, you turn all the lights off, and there's nothing there. Just, people just wouldn't know it was there. It's just gone. And you can be a really brilliant, or think you're being a really brilliant church, but if there's no light there, what are you? You're not a city on a hill. You're not the light to the world. And the light is Jesus, it's his word. And if we're not holding on to that, if we're not believing in that, and sometimes that light, actually most of the time, the light we bring to the world will be like a, like a warm sunrise, be like a pleasant relief. It will speak goodness into people's hearts. But there'll be other occasions as well where the light will be more, more, more like a blinding warning. You know, if you're driving a car late at night, it's a country road, there's no street lights, um, and you're the only car on the road, and then another car comes over the brow of the hill. You know, the, the headlights hit you, and you kind of have to veer away. Actually, no, that's the wrong way, isn't it? Because I'm on the left. I've got to change the other... Oh, no, no, I am on the right side of the car. I just need to steer the other way. Sorry, I was thinking English driving. I'm on the wrong side of the road. But you have to veer away when the lights get you, right? And, that's what, and you're, but you're blinded, but it's a warning. You think, oh, I'll make sure I'm not on the same side of the road as him, whichever side it is, because I'm going to hit him. And sometimes the, the light that we need to be to the world around us is a bit more like that. It's a bit like a 
blinding warning that kind of wakes people up. Sometimes that might even feel a bit uncomfortable. Sometimes it means we have to hold on to certain values, we have to believe certain things which are thoroughly countercultural. that people around us would think, how can you believe that about sex? It's just crazy, why do you believe that? How do you think that about gender? It's just, it's just old news, what do you think, why? People might think you're weird or you're odd, but we're holding on to something objective. So it's eternal truth that we believe actually whether they realize it or not, eventually will set people free, will we'll serve them. And you have to make a decision whether your own faith is gonna be a personal faith, which is acceptable to the world, because you know, as, you know, if you believe it's true, then good for you. If that's your reality, then great. So we can all live like that, or you have to decide, will my faith be public? <laughs> is it gonna be there for people to see? If they ask questions and I'm going to tell them what I believe, we have to make that decision. And our, our task is this. I think someone else said this and I've stolen it, but I can't remember who it was, so I'm just going to pretend it's me, okay? Because it's, it's good. It says, to live, to live counter-cultural lives, so lives that kind of stand out from the world around us, like Jesus, by being guided by the timeless truths of Scripture, that are intended to be lived out by every missionary in every culture. That's, that's the task for us as a church, to live countercultural lives like Jesus, guided by the timeless truths of scripture that are intended to be lived out by missionaries in every culture. That's, that's our job, that's the mission that God's put in front of us. And that means that sometimes, for you personally, you, you need to let the Bible kind of disagree with you because <laughs> I don't know about you I can sometimes read things I read the Bible and there'll be some bits that I'll read and enjoy and other bits it's quite easy just to sort of skim over them or think I'm not really sure I understand that but I'll come back to that another time or I don't know I'm sure if I agree with that but we can just let it kind of run over our heads and disappear but you need to let the Bible really disagree with you you need to submit your heart to it and rather than take the word of God and bend it into what you believe, you need to let the word of God bend you and reshape you. And that can be painful sometimes. That can be confusing. And you might think, I don't even know how to do that. Well, another bit of, a, bit of advice would be, um, says this in Proverbs, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. <laughs> Just find, find someone who, who, who maybe knows the Bible a little bit better than you, who maybe has been a Christian a bit longer than you, and just say, I want to walk with you. Help, help. I want to borrow some of your wisdom. <laughs> I want to walk with it. Walk with the wise and you'll become wise. Walk with Jesus. Walk with other people that follow Jesus. You'll become wise. If you don't, then you're a fool. That's what the Bible says. Where are we? Let's move on to this, the final verse. Jesus said, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. See, to, to really understand this passage, this whole chapter of John 17, we need to roll back a little bit. So I'm gonna read some more scripture, which actually Tom read at the start of the meeting which is from John 1. So it's just 14 verses, but just, why don't as I read this, just 
let this sink into your heart. You know, you might want to close your eyes. You don't have to, but it might just sometimes help you to concentrate. But just as I read this, just let this speak to you. This is from John chapter 1. Um, and he's, he's echoing, in a way, Genesis chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives, gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and he dwelt amongst us. And we've seen his glory, glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. See, what I've been talking about this morning is, it's not like an exchange of worldviews, not really. It's not saying, well, you all believe this, so believe this instead. It's, it's not saying this is this system, replace it with another system. What we're saying is, it's all about a man, a God-man, Jesus. I'm not saying just get rid of that, and here's a new book, here's a new system, here's a new set of ideas. It's about a man, Jesus. That's the truth that sets you free. That's the word of God. It's Jesus himself. Everything, all meaning, all power, all purpose, everything is summed up in this name, the word, which is about Jesus. It's him. And that's, why, that's what makes Christianity so unique in any other belief system, any other religion, because it's not primarily a set of ideas or a set of experiences, or a set of rit rituals or religious rules. It's not about that at all. It's not about finding authority in those things. The gospel, which is the message of Jesus, it's all rooted in knowing Jesus himself, of knowing God, who, <laughs> the wonderful thing is, we were singing about it early, earlier, we were singing about God being holy, and our brother read from that wonderful passage from Revelation about the holiness of God. But then in the very next verse, we could sing about the nearness of God, that we can know him, that we can, you can know him. And by knowing him, you'll be set free. We were singing about all you know, the shame and the guilt and the pain and the hardship of life that can weigh on us, that can hold us down, even sometimes all the truth of the world that says all these different lies and it can just feel overwhelming, Jesus can set you free from all of that. He's the rock on which you stand. Psalm 40 talks about, you know, we're all lost in this miry bog, but we can set our feet on the rock. You know, in, in the, the streams, the mess, the bogginess, the disgustingness of life, we set our feet on this rock. It's this wonderful, firm foundation that we can stand 
That's Jesus. And it finishes so beautifully there. It says, you know, full of grace and truth. And it might be you've got questions. You think, I don't really understand the Bible. And some of what you're saying, I just can't believe it's true. Even some, you might have looked at some of the meetings, some of how we do things. It doesn't really make any sense to me. That's okay. I'm not, I'm not saying you just need to agree with everything I'm saying. I'm saying, come and meet Jesus. Come and meet Jesus. You might think I'm a complete idiot. I couldn't care less. Come and meet Jesus. That's what will set you free. Okay. We're going to pray, um, and then we're going we're gonna to share communion together. Um, communion is a meal that Jesus took with his disciples before he died, and he broke the bread, drank the wine, and said, said, do this, keep on doing this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the word, this truth that sets you free. And we can take this meal and remember that Jesus has set us free, that he's come to be this rock that we can build our lives upon. This is a meal that's for uh, people who would call themselves believers in Jesus. So if you're a follower of him, even if you are not, um, if you're not normally part of our church, but you know that you're a believer in Jesus, then come and join us. Um, if you're not a Christian or maybe you're not sure, then we just ask you to just sit this bit of the meeting out. But please just come and talk to me. Grab a coffee at the back. Come and say hello. I'd love to chat with you. Love to get to know you. If you do want to get to know Jesus for the first time, then just come and talk with me. We'd love to pray with you. There's a few people will have like a thing around their neck saying something about prayer, and they'll pray for you. They'd love to do that. So um, why don't we stand to our feet if you're comfortable doing that and let me pray. Jesus, we, we thank you that you, uh, you came as the word, as ultimate lasting truth. And it means we can build your life on you and know it's a wonderfully firm foundation. And we want to build our life on that. I love how in this city, when the building a building, it's not just you lay a few layers of bricks, but you get those huge poles you hear the machines whacking them into the ground so they go f- deep into the surface to make sure it's stable. God, and we, we, wanna let, we want you to do that in our hearts, to drive deep into our souls so that we're standing on something that's firm and stable. Jesus, more than anything else, we want to know you. We want to know this truth that sets us free. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts. We say, come and reveal this truth deep inside of us, where there's bits of our life that we know we've, we've kind of bended what we believe to fit our own worldview. We've kind of reshaped what we think just because it feels convenient or because someone told us to. By your Holy Spirit, would you just expose those areas to us? Show us where we need to just come and submit our lives again to you, where we need to give everything to you, not holding anything back and trust you for all of our lives. We pray, Holy Spirit, come and be at work in our hearts. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you came as the word of God, bringing truth, that you came as a giver of grace, that we can know your unconditional forgiveness and love and mercy. And we celebrate that as we share this meal together. Amen. Amen. We're going to draw the meeting to a close. Come and share communion. If you've got kids in the kids' work, go and get them after that.
And please, I encourage you to book into this event next weekend. We're not doing it just to have a good jolly and knees up, but because we want to... Um, we want to meet with God and we want to learn more about what he's doing. And we believe, as we've been talking about through John 17, that Jesus has sent us into this world, into this city. And we want to talk about what that means for us. So come and join us. Um, and uh, if you've got questions about that, please come and ask me. Um, but yeah, we'll finish now. So share communion and then get your kids if you have them. And then we'll go home. And we'll see you next week.